Well, let's open up our Bibles again to our text this morning. It's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. It's on page 1187 in the Pew Bible. And any kids here, kindergarten to second grade, can be dismissed to Children's Church if they wish. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. Just a reminder, our uh, Christmas Eve services are coming. We're going to hold them on the 24th this year. It's going to be at 3 p.m., 5 p.m., 7 p.m. What a great opportunity to bring a friend who needs to know more about the Lord. Uh, I'm going to be preaching on John chapter 3, verse 3. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So uh, just be praying about that, uh, th- that I would be able to make clear the difference between religion and real faith in Christ. Uh, so be praying about uh, Christmas Eve services. And if you'd like to help us in pro- proclaiming the gospel, we really need some people downstairs in our nursery in all three services. And uh, you know what a great way just to be a warm and welcoming face as people who may be new to the church are bringing their kids, and that's their first impression. And to be there and to love them and to take their children enables them to hear the gospel clearly. Uh, so think about that. You can go downstairs to the nursery and sign up for that if, if you'd like. We'd love for you to help us out with that. All right, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. A little bit of a pointed text this morning. It says in verse 11, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. This is an interesting text because I think that it exposes a myth that could be very detrimental to our Christian development. This text uh, debunks an idea that were we to believe this idea, it could really hinder our faith and our Christian maturity. And, and here's the myth. Let me just put the myth out there and then we'll talk about it. The myth goes like this. The longer you're a Christian, the more spiritually mature you will be. The longer you're a Christian, the further along in your walk with Jesus in obedience and holiness you will be. That's a myth. The myth says, if you've been a Christian 20 years, you will very much uh, certainly be more advanced in your faith than someone who's been a Christian for five years. The myth says, well, I've served on a lot of committees, and I've gone to Bible studies, and I help out at the potlucks, and I've heard a lot of sermons, therefore, I'm definitely going to be mature in my faith. And that, unfortunately, is a myth. Because spiritual maturity and chronological time are different mechanisms. And it's possible to continue to be a Christian year after year and age chronologically and yet to be stuck or stymied or even as these people seem to be, regressing spiritually. 
uh, we can still be stuck in a kind of spiritual infancy. The writer of Hebrews here, it's in the kind of pointed, uh, almost a chastising sort of passage. He's telling them, look, you people should be a lot more spiritually mature by now, but you're not, even though many years have passed. Look back at the text. Look at verse 11. He says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you're slow to learn. Now, what is he talking about when he says we have much to say about this? Much to say about what? Well, what we just studied last Sunday and the Sunday before, the high priesthood of Jesus. Go back and look at chapter 5, verse 8. Let's just kind of pick up the context here. He says, although he was a son, talking about Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated to be by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So we have much more to say about this. About what? About Jesus' high priesthood. In other words, he's like this. He's saying, I want to tell you guys so much more about the gospel than you really know. I, I want to take you deeper into the gospel. I want to help you think more profoundly about the cross of Jesus and what it meant for Jesus to die for us than you've ever really thought about. And in fact, when we get to Hebrews chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, four chapters all about the high priesthood of Jesus. He, he's going to take us deep in our thinking about the meaning of the cross and the gospel. But look what he's saying. He's like, but I can't do it. This is going to be hard because you're slow to learn. And when he says you're slow to learn, that doesn't mean like we have a learning disability or something, that, that we're not intelligent enough or that there's something wrong with our brain that we can't process information. It's not a mental problem. It's a spiritual problem. See that word there? It says slow to learn in Greek. Uh, The word really means sluggish or lazy or indolent. So the problem isn't their IQ level. The problem is they're just lazy. And even though they've been a Christian for many years, a long time, they've been kind of sitting on their spiritual haunches, not growing and progressing in their faith. He's like, i got so much to tell you, but you know, you people ought to be here right now, but you're so lazy in your faith, you're back here. And, and it, so this is a problem for me, he's explaining. So it, I kind of feel like, you know, the, the writer of Hebrews in this passage has suddenly stopped the talk about the high priest to kind of give us a quick lecture. It's like we do, you know, you do with kids or maybe your parents have done with you where you give them like one of those last minute lectures. You're going to a Christmas party or something and you're walking up to the door, you're about to ring the doorbell and the kids are horsing around and all of a sudden the parent wheels around and is like, now listen, you know, this is a nice party. You're not going to act like animals, you know? And I don't want you to touch things. I want to push things. I don't want you whining. I don't want you okay? You know, and the, and the kids are like, okay, okay. And, and I feel like that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's like, now listen, I want to take you into some really amazing thinking about Jesus and the gospel. I, I want to take you to some really deep things, but you're acting like babies. So stop it. <laughs> Grow up. It's like, okay. He just interrupts the flow of his argument. It suddenly gives us one of these like, whoa, okay, I'm listening. And sometimes we need that. Apparently we need that this morning because here's God's Word telling us we need to grow up. Look at verse 12. This myth is even more explicit in verse 12. He says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You've been Christians long enough that were you to be maturing spiritually at the same 
clip that you've been maturing chronologically in your physical lives, that by now you ought to be teachers. So, again, there's the myth. The myth is that the longer you're a Christian, the more mature you will be. Not the case, because here are people who have been Christians a long time, but they're not mature spiritually. Um, they're stuck in infancy. They still need the ABCs, you know, whereas they should be ready for what he's going to teach them about the gospel. They're still back at, you know, okay, A, B, C, D, okay. You know, their understanding of the gospel is ask Jesus into your heart to be your Savior. Like, okay, that's what we tell the four-year-olds in Sunday school. But do you understand the gospel beyond that? Or, or is your knowledge of the gospel just ask Jesus to be your Savior? Like, okay. But what does that mean? What is the Savior? Who is Jesus? Save us from what? I mean, can, you, can we answer those questions? And he wants to take us there. But we're still needing just the ABCs because we have this shallow understanding. We should be teachers by now. You see that? And when he says you ought to be teachers, I don't take that to mean that he's saying every mature Christian needs to be able to preach a sermon or teach a Sunday school class. I don't think that's what that means. I think... That kind of teaching is a gift. God gives gifts to the body. He gives teachers and He gives some to be leaders and administrators and servants and gives gifts in music. I mean, He gives all kinds of gifts. So the ability to sort of teach large groups of people, I don't think that's what that's talking about here. That's just one gift among many in the body of Christ. But what I do believe is this. this I really believe this. That every mature Christian has the capacity and calling to teach people each other one-on-one. That that's something every mature Christian can do. Anyone, no matter who you are, whether or not you like public speaking or not, anyone can have a conversation. In fact, people who don't like public speaking will tell you. They're like, look, I'm way better one-on-one. I'm way better with a small group of people. Right. Every Christian has the calling and capacity to talk to someone. We can all talk to somebody. And we can encourage them. We can guide them. We can give them Uh, advice and ideas. Every Christian can teach other people in in a one-on-one setting. And so I think all of us, if you're a really mature Christian, we have the capacity to do that. You know, babies, babies get fed. Adults feed. You know, little kids say, I want breakfast. Can I have dinner? When are you going to make dinner? And adults are the ones who take responsibility to cook it up and to serve it to the babies. And the problem is that here in Hebrews, they had like a bunch of 150, 180, 200-pound babies. <laughs> feed us more! Feed us! Feed me, Seymour! You know, feed me! <laughs> Give us more good teaching! More, more! And, oh, you know, feeding these adults who should be feeding others by now, and they still want feeding. And he's like, no, like by now you should have grown up enough that you're taking responsibility to feed others. And say, so like, you know, I'm a mature Christian. I've been a Christian for 30 years. Really, have you been feeding others very much? Well, no. Well, then maybe you're not mature as you think you are. That's something mature Christians could do. It doesn't have to be anything dramatic. It can be teaching your children and not just parenting them, but trying to disciple your children. And it can be having a conversation with another person at church or someone at work who's just curious about the faith. I mean, that's examples of teaching other people. But I think that's a sign of maturity. Are we teaching other people or not? Uh, you know, so how many sermons have we heard in our lives? How many sermons have you heard in your life? <laughs> Way too many. <laughs> how many Sunday school classes have you attended? How many Bible studies have you been to? 
How many Christian retreats, camps, conferences, marriage retreats, men's retreats, women's retreats uh, have you attended? Youth retreats have you attended in your life? How many youth group lessons have you heard? How many uh, Christian musicians have you listened to? How much Christian radio have you listened to? I mean, I think some of us here have logged literally thousands and thousands of hours of Christian instruction. Thousands and thousands of hours. And we're still like, feed me more, feed me more. (laughs) You've got to take it now and minister to somebody else. That's a sign of maturity. That's an evidence that we've passed from just being babies who are fed to adults who are feeding others. So I, I really want to challenge you on that. Just think about that. You know, what would it be like if we were a church with all of the knowledge that we have and the information and training and experience and life lessons from going through suffering and trials and finding the Lord faithful? All the things we've learned in our faith. What if we as a church were to take that and be serious about investing that in other people? I mean, it would be like this, this potential energy. I, mean, I feel like there's so much massive potential energy in this church that were it to be a fuse attached to it, lit and set loose. I mean, it could really transform the world around us. We have so much potential here. But we have to switch from being feedees to feeders, from being babies to being adults who take responsibility. Well, look, he goes on in verses 13 and 14. He talks about other dimensions of Christian maturity. He says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we have milk versus solid food, which I'm taking to be a steak. And then we have, in my mind, that's what I visualize, and then we have the babies versus the mature. And and he's saying that we need to go from eating milk to eating solid food, from being babies to eating steak. This is a maturing process we need to undergo. Uh, And so what is the milk in this context? And I think it's clear that the milk has to do with teaching. That milk is baby teaching, ABCs, the fundamentals, the, the basics of Christianity. And solid food is more rigorous thinking and growing in our knowledge of Christ, which is what he wants to take us into in the coming chapters. So he's saying we need to grow up in terms of teaching, in terms of doctrine. Notice the emphasis on doctrine in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying in the foundation. And then he rattles off a bunch of kind of introductory teachings. Repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead. We need to move on in our thinking and and not keep going over those basics because we've forgotten about them. Not that you ever leave the basics, but, but I think you have them in place and you build upon those basics. And so, not only do we need to be feeding others and, and ministering in others, but I think spiritual maturity also shows that we're growing in our depth of knowledge about Christ. Our doctrine and our teaching. We're, we're understanding more of the Bible. It reminded me of a passage in Ephesians where Paul talks about Uh, infancy versus maturity, and it's around this theme of teaching and doctrine. Uh, Put a bookmark here in Hebrews and flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul takes up the same infancy versus maturity motif. It's on page 1158 in the Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. 
He says, then, once we're mature, Ephesians 4.14, then we will no longer be infants. Then he kind of mixes metaphors here. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in Him who is the head, that is Christ. So do you see the contrast? It's between infancy and maturity. And what are the characteristics in this context of infancy versus maturity? It's that infants are just blown around by the waves. And what are the waves in this context? False teaching. False ideas. Wrong thinking about Christ. And when we're not mature in our faith, when we're not mature in what we say grounded in the Scriptures, we don't have an anchor that goes down from the boat and has been carefully hooked into the bedrock. When those waves of false teaching come, we just kind of ride along with them. Like, oh, isn't that neat? Oh, that's a new idea. And you know, we just float along with the latest fad, the latest best-selling book, the latest fresh idea that's going to revolutionize our lives. And we just sort of drift along. And we go along uncritically without thinking about it. You know, we have to be grounded in, in the Word. And I think this is a real weakness in the modern evangelical church, that we have become very undoctrinal, if not anti-doctrinal. You know, we see doctrine as bad. Doctrine, oh, that, that divides people. We need unity, not doctrine. I disagree. Unity without doctrine is no real unity at all. We need to unify around doctrine and around biblical teaching. You know, this is a weakness in, in the American church. I mean, I, I can't understand, <laughs> just to be candid, I, I don't understand without this, this sort of realization about our doctrinal weakness why so many Christians in America are obsessed with Joel Osteen. You know? It's just empty pap. You listen to him, and, and people are just caught up in this guy. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, he's entertaining, he's warm, he's friendly. But, you know, you listen to what he's teaching, and it's not the gospel. It's something called the prosperity gospel. You know, the gospel says we need Jesus because we're sinners and we need to be reconciled to God and made holy. And the prosperity gospel says you need Jesus because he can give you your best life now. And he can give you what you want. He can make you happy. He can solve all your problems. I mean, we're suffering in that gospel. But Christians just uh, lap it up. Why? Because we're no longer based on doctrine. We've now become based upon feelings and experience and emotion. And he makes people feel good. He's positive, right? You know? How else do we explain Christians buying this book, The Shack, by the millions? You know, again, an encouraging book in some ways. I, I think the good thing about that book is that it calls us to know God personally. But that book is riddled with heresy. Like just good old-fashioned heresy. But Christians just, oh, this is the best book ever. I can't believe how good this book is. And like no flags are going off when they read it. Why is it? Because we've stopped thinking about God's Word. And so whatever the wave comes along, we just flow along with the waves. And we're so susceptible to false teaching and false doctrine. So we need to grow deeper in God's Word. We need to, to uh, assess God's Word critically. Not having a critical spirit. But having critical thinking, there's a big difference between those two. I, I don't want us to become Christians who are just constantly pointing out the problems and everything else because, you know, there's three fingers pointing back. But to have critical thinking. I pray that you are a congregation that critically evaluates what I say in this pulpit. And that if I'm saying, you know, I think this is what God's Word saying, and I'm like, off, 
I hope you'll come challenge me afterwards and say, you know, with all due respect, Pastor, I, I didn't quite see that in the text, or I think you're missing a whole other sl- slice of this. I hope that you're that kind of congregation. I love it when people do that, because, you know, I'm going to miss things. And I make mistakes, you know, every once ten years or so, and I, I miss something. <laughs> but seriously, we, this is the standard. Not any personality, book, TV preacher, real preacher, whatever. And so we need to think more deeply about God's Word so that we're not like babies. We need to uh, embrace deeper teaching. But notice, go back to Hebrews, notice the third aspect of maturity. The first aspect is that mature Christians don't just get fed, get fed, get fed, but they take responsibility to feed others and to teach one-on-one. A second aspect of maturity is that we are solid doctrinally. So it's not just doing, it's also knowing And then I think a third aspect of maturity that's here in the text, it's not quite as pronounced, but I see it there, is that it's also in our being, that we're mature in our character in Christ, in our Christian character. Notice it says in verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. So so it's teaching, but it's about with a certain goal in mind, which is that we would become more righteous. It's not just filling our heads with correct doctrine, but it's so that it might transform our hearts so that we would live in a way that glorifies Christ. That's a sign of maturity. Or he says in verse 14, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. We're called to live good godly lives, not evil wicked lives. So, so it's also not just a call to have the right doctrine, but to have Christian character that's mature and godly and, and exemplary. We've we got to walk the talk. We've got to take the doctrine and live it out in our lives. Otherwise, it'll just become empty intellectualism and rationalism. Uh, it made me think of another passage from Paul where he talks about infancy. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He uses the same metaphor of milk and sort of a common metaphor. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about maturity. That's on page uh, 1129. First Corinthians 3, verse 1. He says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. There's that same idea. Indeed, you are still not ready. Even though you've been Christians for a while, you're still not spiritually mature. The two do not go hand in hand necessarily. For, and here we go. Uh, Verse 3, you are still worldly. Why? In what way are the infants? And he's going to talk about Christian character. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? So, yeah, you think you're so spiritual, but you're fighting and you're at each other's throats in the church. And he's like, that's not maturity. You know, this happens in churches. Churches still go through battles. There are different people and different agendas and and people come in conflict in the church that's going to happen the question is how do we resolve it do we resolve conflict in the church in a godly way in a way that glorifies christ that shows humility and maturity or do we just boom go at it you know like rams on the discovery channel like punk and we're we're slamming heads and fighting and battling with each other you know and and often times in churches where there's these battles and fights that where the conflict is resolved in a really ungodly, fractious kind of way. 
you know, a lot of times the people at the center of them are the most mature in the church, supposedly. Oftentimes the people who are the oldest Christians, who've been there the longest, and they're butting heads, and it's like, but you're the ones who I hope were the most spiritually mature. But maybe not. Maybe spiritual age is not the same as chronological age. But I've been a Christian for 30 years. Well, then why are you so egotistical? But I've been a Christian 40 years. Then why are you such a control freak? And why do you gossip so much? And, and, and why, do you, <laughs> why, did you, why do we still do these things if we've been a Christian for so long? Yeah, we may have been a Christian for a long time, but there are these glaring character flaws that really need attention. And we really need to focus on. I mean, really, I think this is one of the huge areas of growth. I mean, it applies just outside of the church. What about our marriages? You know, we have troubles in marriages sometimes. Couples just can't seem to see eye to eye. And it's like, what do we do? Do we go to a marriage counselor? Do we go to a marriage conference? Yeah, those things are good. But what if what you really need is just to grow up in your faith? What if the best thing you could do to help your marriage would just be to become more godly in your character? Maybe that's what's really needed. It's not yet another book or another seminar, but just for us to grow up and become more godly and loving and humble. If I was more like Christ and my spouse was more like Christ, I wonder what that might do for our marriage. If we just seem to follow Christ more and become more holy and obedient and loving Him. And so, the message of Hebrews 6 pointed text, a difficult text, one that made me very uncomfortable as I was preparing it. The basic message is, in fact, the title of my sermon is, Grow Up. <laughs> That's the message. Grow Up. Or as it's put in chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. We need to keep pressing on to maturity. Let us not assume that we are automatically, osmotically, unconsciously maturing in Christ just because we woke up for another day. Let us keep pressing on in our faith. Let's do a self-diagnostic. Let's look at our lives and say, is there a particular area where we really need to grow up? Let's look at those three areas from the first three verses. What about this area of teaching others? Maybe that's an area where you need to grow. You've been feeding, 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 but it's time to start giving. And uh, and I don't know what that's going to look like. It could be anything. It could be maybe you have children or grandchildren. That's a starting place. Instead of just parenting them, what about discipling them and teaching them about Christ, using your influence as a parent? Uh, Maybe you know someone else in the church who needs encouragement. And what if you just said, hey, can we go out for a cup of coffee and talk about faith with them, talk about life? I mean, to me, that's... That's teaching. That's feeding. Encouraging another Christian. They'll probably encourage you. You'll feed each other. You know, you'd be handing, you know, like a couple drinking out of the milkshake with the straws together. You know, just be encouraging each other as Christians, building each other up in love. Or maybe it's someone who doesn't know Christ at all. And, and that's where you're going to be teaching somebody. You're going to be explaining the faith and the gospel to them because they have questions. But whatever it is, let's step out of the passive feed me, feed me role to an active feeding role where we take initiative as God gives us opportunity to feed others. Or what about the second area of maturity? What about growing deeper in our knowledge of doctrine? Are we blown here and there by the waves and by the wind? Or are we grounded? Does your truth detector go off when you hear things that aren't funny? And even if you don't quite know what it is, there's just something in your head going, you know, that's not right. I don't know quite why, but it's not right. 
You know, is that sense well developed in you? That you can, as it says in Hebrews uh, 5.14, through constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know, grow in your knowledge of Christian truth. Uh, there's Bible studies available in the church. Pastor Seth is teaching an awesome Sunday school class down in the library on basic Christian doctrine. Uh, there's a group meeting over in the parsonage, over in Seth's house. He's opened up his home because we need space. And in his living room, there's some people studying John Stott's classic book, The Cross of Christ. You know, take advantage of opportunities to read. Uh, downstairs at the book table, there's a... Have you seen this, like, case with glass doors down there? That book, that bookcase is filled completely with books that our pastoral staff has evaluated and recommend to you for reading. So not that you can only read that, obviously. You can read whatever you want. But if you're sort of saying, you know, what's good stuff that will really feed my soul? This is a bookcase of books that the three pastors in your church have said, I think these are good books. These are things that will help you and profit you. Not perfect, but they're good books. And so read more deeply. This is an area I'm growing in. I was talking to a group of pastors this week, and we were, we were just encouraging each other to keep reading. You know, pastors can be so busy on the ministry side of things teaching, that sometimes you can be so busy in ministry and life that you don't feed your own soul. And so it was all these pastors just saying, how do we block out time in our lives simply to read so that we don't become empty and dry, so that we're growing deeper? It's not like we've arrived at all perfect knowledge yet. Or what about that third area? What about our Christian character? Maybe there is a glaring deficiency in our character, be it anger or uh, ego or lust or greed or worry or gossip or whatever it is? Is there something that just kind of stands out as a major weakness? Maybe we need to do like weightlifters and bodybuilders do where they do weak point training. You know, bodybuilders will stand and they'll look in the mirror and they'll be like, hmm, my abs on the left side appear to be deficient. And so they'll go to the gym, you know, for three months and they'll just work the ab right on the left side until it's in shape with the rest of the body. And perhaps that's what we need to do. We need to analyze ourselves and say, boy, there's this one area. I've always struggled with this for like 20 years, whatever it is. Have I ever taken uh, evasive tactical action against this weak spot in my life? Have I ever specifically tackled it through fasting, prayer, Bible study, accountability? And said, you know, I'm just not satisfied with always being like this. I, I believe Christ can change me. And attack it. Attack it through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God and prayer and the accountability of the other Christians. And maybe that's what we need to do is to grow in our faith. I suspect all of us have different areas where we need to grow. And so where do we need to grow? Where do we need to mature? Where do we need to grow up in our Christian lives? Well, let me leave you with this encouraging thought after a rather pointed text. I'm I'm so thankful for verse 3 because it it gives a little hope after a pretty stinging rebuke from this passage. In verse 3, he says, about after telling us to go on, he says in verse 3 of chapter 6, and God permitting, we will do so. We will mature. We will grow. God permitting. In other words, what we are incapable of doing, what we are incapable of overcoming, God can do. God can permit it and enable it. You know, we look at this daunting task of spiritual maturity and we say, I, 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 I'm never going to get there. I could never teach someone else. I, I can't grow in my knowledge. I don't have time to read. I, you know, I have these character flaws. I'll never overcome them. Yeah, you can't, but God can. Nothing's impossible for God. 
God loves to come down to those who are lowly and dependent upon Him. And so wherever you are in your spiritual maturity, let's trust God. In fact, let me show you one other thing on the same vein. I'm going to show you something you can't see. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. You can't see it because I believe it's really poorly translated in this English translation. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ. And here's the phrase. Go on to maturity. Now, that sounds like the command is, Hey, you, get off your duff and get out there. But in Greek, and I don't understand why hardly any of the English translations translate it this way. In Greek, the verb is passive. It's the verb to carry. So uh, I think an, a, a literal, accurate translation would be, therefore, let us be carried on to maturity. Isn't that interesting? And why it says, hey, go on, that's different from let's be carried on. And so there's an emphasis there on the grace of God that's, I think, missed in this translation, that it's God who carries us to maturity. So yeah, we recognize our need, but it's not like, all right, God, thank you very much. I'm going to go get mature now. I'll uh, I'll make some New Year's resolutions. I'll talk to you next year. Here I go. (laughs) I'm going to mature myself. No. Without the grace of God, it is impossible. We need Jesus to come into our lives and to carry us. Even as we actively seek maturity, we need Him to bring us there. And so we need a kind of active passivity, a kind of active dependency where we trust in Christ to get us there. So let's pray. Let's pray for this work of God in our lives in response to this passage. You bow your heads and pray with me. Oh Lord Jesus, I thank You that You have so much in store for us. And Lord, it's so sad that we don't enjoy the blessings You have for us because we're stuck in infancy. Lord, we want the more that You have for us. And so God, we pray, help us to grow up. Help me to grow up in my faith. God, You have blessings for us that will come when we minister to others. And I just pray, Lord, that You would help us to step out of that passive feed me, feed me mentality. Lord, help us to feed others. I pray for every believer in this congregation that they would have someone in their lives that they would be able to teach and instruct and mutually encourage. God, I pray that You would mature us in our our love for truth and our love for doctrine. Help us, Lord, not to buy into the emotionalism and experientialism of this age. But instead, Lord, help us to sink our anchor in the, in the words so that we don't drift along with the waves. And God, I pray that You would show us our next step there. Maybe it's a Bible study or a book. But Lord, whatever it is, show those of us who need deeper theological teaching the next step to take. Carry us along, Lord, we pray. And Lord, for our character, God, show us the glaring deficiencies. Help us to be disturbed and upset by the weaknesses we see in our character. And Lord, help us to attack it by Your power. Lord, help us to trust in You. And so God, we pray, carry us along to greater maturity in righteousness and obedience. Lord, we are just unsatisfied with who we are in Christ. We have a holy dissatisfaction. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that You would mature us, strengthen us, and shape us. We pray this all through Christ our Lord. Amen.